Hi everyone, welcome to our podcast Tech Talk, where Amit and I uh, usually talk about various technology-related topics. Uh, today is a special episode because we have a guest with us today, Troy Hunt. He is uh, the founder of the website Have I Been Pwned. Um, he is also the regional director of uh, Microsoft and also a Microsoft's most valuable professional. So I'm really pleased that uh, you can make it. Uh, you you um, are joining with us today, Troy. Um, thank you very much. Um, hey, thanks, guys. Thank you for having me. Great, great. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, have I been pwned .com? I I actually wasn't aware of this website until uh, Amit introduced it to me, and I thought it was a really <laughs> cool website. And I can imagine a lot of people have benefited from from the work you are doing on that website. Um, and I feel like you know our audience would also um, benefit greatly from you know by knowing the website and how they can sort of utilize all the information that is available there. So um, we can start by uh, if you um, tell us a little bit about your website and how did it start, how did it evolve into what it is now? Yeah, good question. So. Have I been pwned? Started as a bit of a bit of fun, <laughs> which is the way many projects start. And it was 2013 after the uh, Adobe data breach, which I think was October 2013. And there were 150 something million people in there, including me, twice. And I thought, uh, well, first of all, I thought, why am I in here twice? Well, I, I had my work account and I had my personal account. Uh, and then, second of all, I thought, why am I even in Adobe? Because I didn't think I had an Adobe account. Uh, but I had had a Macromedia account before that because I used Dreamweaver and uh, Adobe bought Macromedia and now someone else owned my data. So I turned up in a place that I never expected. And I thought that was interesting. And I thought maybe other people will think that that's interesting as well. So I, I put all the Adobe data and a few other little breaches into the service. And I started with about 155 million records, which, <laughs> which I thought was big. I've got over 11 billion now. And, uh, and that's where it started. And since then, I've just keep adding more and more and more data breaches. Uh, just before we started this call, I had another 24 million records from uh, an Indian uh, online grocery service. So it's like every day, there's just more and more stuff. Yeah, that's wow. quite, yeah, quite no, interesting. That is, <laughs> it's very fascinating indeed. I mean, um, I... I didn't I didn't actually I wasn't aware of all of this um, being available online. I mean, um, for you know historically you you know sign up for various accounts for various applications that you in a lot of the times it's even difficult to keep track of where you've even signed up. And back in the old days, 10, 20 years ago, I mean, I was a teenager and I've, I've opened accounts wherever, <laughs> wherever I, whatever I came across. And most of those things, I don't even have any track of them now, but I have the same email address. So <laughs> yeah, I could easily get, you know, my information could easily get a lot of places without, without my knowledge anymore. So this is, this is actually a, a really good place to sort of make sure that, uh, you know, if, if anything has, if there was a breach of my data. 
Yeah, and you're very right about just not even knowing all the places you sign up on. Uh, I've been and have I been pwned, I think, about 25 times now, which is which is probably – I think there's really needs to be like golf, right? Like the lower your score is, the better. Um, unfortunately, my score isn't very good. And very often I have turned up in data breaches that I just – I couldn't even remember the service. So I was in one – I think it was only last year, one called Howls, and it was uh, some sort of interior – design website. I don't even know what it was because I, I just didn't know what the site was and I loaded it. And then Have I Been Pwned sent me an email <laughs> and said I was in there. And I I, uh, I won't repeat the word I said when um, when the email came in, but I wasn't very happy <laughs> and I couldn't even remember the service. Wow. Interesting, interesting, um, Troy. I mean, I've actually uh, heard you speak uh, in London uh, my wife, she's a .NET developer, so we attended one of your uh, uh, like uh, events, uh, I think a .NET event where you spoke about security, and that's how I know about you and um, the website. And uh, I actually um, came to know uh, about the data breach, uh, especially uh, related to LinkedIn, because uh, I think LinkedIn, everyone's email got uh, breached, uh, and uh, it's uh, spectacular because um, I... I mean, I don't, I don't, I should not say this, but I reuse my passwords. So uh, when LinkedIn got leaked, uh, I started getting, uh, e I mean, uh, people trying to uh, hack into my Gmail account or Facebook account, etc. But I had put two-factor authentication, so I was safe. But then it uh, actually made me think like uh, how your website is useful. Because I know that my LinkedIn uh, account got leaked, so I should change the password and uh, make my other accounts more secure. Yeah, and you know, it's it's often after a data breach that people realise they need to do that. And of course, in a way, it's too late because that breach has happened. But then again, if if you start doing that after a data breach, then you're going to be much better off when all those other data breaches happen. Yes. 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 Absolutely. So, um, Troy, as you mentioned, you you've you've been on your website a number of times, and after coming to know about your site, I've put my uh, the primary email address in there, and yeah, it looks like I'm in there about uh, I think nine times as well. Oh, congratulations! <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what uh, what should be the sort of the course of action if if you know someone goes to your website and finds out that the you know they've been part of this, and then what sort of action should they should, you know should they take well i mean f figuring out if you've been part of it obviously go to have i been part of it. I, I guess the thing to remember with have i been pwned as well is that have i been pwned is just it's just what we know and what is circulating publicly enough for me to be able to get it and add it and to expand on both those items there are there are lots of data breaches that have been reported which we just haven't seen circulating yet the one i added today was from november so it's taken what like six months or something between it being reported in the news and me actually having it and of course there are many other data breaches which have happened that we just haven't heard about now, very often there can be a long lead time of months years or sometimes forever <laughs> before we hear about it there are lots of incidents out there that we would just simply never hear about and um, that's that is a little bit a uh, little bit uh, scary, really, isn't it? 
Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, what I was thinking is, uh, I mean, do I need to now change my email address to to a new one, or uh, should I change? Nah, <laughs> you can't really do that. I mean, we, we just had this big Facebook scraping incident a couple of weeks ago as well, and people were like, "Should I change my phone number because my phone number got exposed?" It's like, no, it's it's. <laughs> There's really two problems with both phone number and email address in terms of changing them. Uh, the, the first problem is is that it's high friction. So if you want yeah. to change your email address, I mean, I changed my email address oh, probably three or four years ago. I'm still getting email to the old one. It's, it is painful. It's not much fun at all. And, and then the other problem is, is that what does it really fix? And one of the things that I, I think people need to sort of mentally reset on is that the only way an email address or a phone number works is when other people have it. <laughs> so, <Yes. laughs> so the whole point of it is that this is a channel by which people contact you. So by design, these things are meant to be shared with others. So it's it's a little bit, it doesn't really sort of make a lot of sense to say, well, if someone else has it and it's the person I didn't expect, then I'm going to change it. I think what's more important is that we need to recognize that, that they are by and large, public pieces of personal identifiable information. And if we work on the assumption that they're public and other people know them, yeah. then you start to worry a lot less because you can start to talk about, okay, well, you know, what are the right ways to protect ourselves when everyone knows my email address or my phone number? Yes, absolutely. I mean, email address is kind of the modern version of your um, home address in a way, because whenever you have an address, obviously you need to use that address, give it out to your friends and family so they can communicate with you. But then, um, you know, kind of inevitably, you'd also get, um, you know, spam and junk e junk mails 20 years ago and now <laughs> junk emails. So yeah, I mean, uh, that communication mm -hmm. protocol, as soon as you open it, you sort of open it up to any kind of communication solicited or unsolicited. Um, I think one of the other um, uh, uh, one of the other ways to one of the other ways you, you can really sort of get helped by from your website is the password checker because uh, uh, there is one of the other page where you could sort of put your password in and see that whether that password is uh, in circulation and that could be a, a good place to sort of uh, sort of redo your passwords uh, rather than changing the email address. Well, I mean, the, the way we got to think about passwords, it, it's kind of funny. Like we, we know as an industry, and I think most people, even those who are not necessarily in tech or infosec know as well, that passwords shouldn't be simple. They shouldn't be predictable and they shouldn't be reused. And it's kind of like, it's like a little dirty secret, right? Like everyone knows this, but uh, as we discussed earlier on, and I've done the same thing, all of us, reuse passwords at some point in time and we make some poor decisions at some point in time. So we really need to sort of get past this, this sort of barrier of trying to reuse and simplify passwords. And as soon as we get past that, the landscape really, really changes. Like your risk dramatically reduces when an attacker gets a username and password and it only works in one place. And, and suddenly you've changed your risk from just about every single service you have using the same password through to just this one thing. And if this one thing gets compromised, um, so long as it's not your email address, because your email address is usually the thing that resets <laughs> all the other things. Yeah. But so long as it's just that one thing, it's usually not too bad. And, and this is why things like a password manager are so important. 
Ah, okay. I'm glad you brought on uh, brought the password manager because I actually have this dilemma, and which I think is a bit of a paradox in itself. Um, you know, ha a lot of us use password managers nowadays. Uh, Chrome has a built-in one, which I um, which I <laughs> sort of inadvertently started using. Um, but if you have a password manager, doesn't it doesn't it you know, sort of by default, create a single point of vulnerability. So if, if someone has access to the password of the password manager, then they have access to all the passwords. On the other hand, if you if you sort of having to, if you're having to change or use different passwords for all the different services and businesses that you're uh, corresponding with, then, you know, you would very quickly end up with, you know, with, with a large list of passwords, and then that becomes very impractical. Um, we also have to think about how practical it is. I think the, one of the main reasons why we do use the same passwords in many places is because it's it's more practical, because we don't want to write it down either. So, yeah, I mean, what's your thought on this, this dilemma? I mean, password manager or, you know, different password? Well, I think you've, you've identified several really important points here. The, the first one is, uh, is it a single point of failure? Uh, yes. If someone gets your password manager, like you are screwed. <laughs> you are really, really screwed. <laughs> now, um, that said, we, we've got to do a sort of little bit of threat modeling here insofar as, you know, what is the likelihood of this happening? What is the impact if it does? And, and what's really important, and I, I think this is a really, really interesting way of thinking about uh, any form of security in general, whether it be digital security or even the security in your house, we've got to think about how does the thing that we are proposing compare to the options. So when we talk about a password manager, what we're really talking about is how does a password manager compare to not having a password manager? Now, if you don't have a password manager, you're almost certainly using passwords that are weak and you're almost certainly reusing them. Uh, yes, so what is yes. the risk of that? You've got someone who is more likely to uh, crack your password if it's exposed uh, as a hash in a data breach. If they do get that password or if the password is exposed in clear text or if you enter it into a phishing page or something like that, then you're going to have all of your other accounts unlocked very, very quickly. So it's still a pretty high impact if you don't have a password manager uh, and you're using the, the practices that most people use. Now, if you do have a password manager, uh, what is the likelihood of it being compromised. Well, if it's a, a good password manager, uh, like 1Password, and full disclosure, I'm on their board of advisors, so I have, <laughs> have a best interest. But in fairness, I wasn't on it for about the first nine years that I used the product, so I have a long history of actually liking the product. Uh, but look, I mean, there are other good password managers as well. And, and if you're using a password manager in the way it's designed to be used, the likelihood of it being compromised is extremely low. And yes, the impact is high, but on balance, very, very low likelihood with a high impact is better than a very high likelihood with still a pretty high impact when you don't have one. And then I think the other point here, which is really, really important is the usability of it. And what does it mean for humans? So another part of security I think that we often overlook terribly is how humans interact with digital controls. Now, as an example of this, 2FA is an absolutely terrible user experience. And if you don't believe me, try and set it up for my parents. <laughs> it's not very much fun. It is painful. And I, I dread the times. I, I'm sure it's the same for you guys and many other people listening. So I just dread when I go to mum and dad's and they're like, I've got a problem with the computer. And I'm like, oh, crap, not again. Yeah. Uh, so 
something like that has a very poor usability experience, even though it is technically very good. Yes. So when we look at something like password managers, this is where I, I think it's one of those really rare cases where it is actually really good for usability as well, because passwords themselves do have a lot of usability problems. Uh, so for example, trying to enter a password on a mobile device. Uh, I have trouble typing at all on a mobile device. Maybe my fingers are too fat. I don't know, but you know, it's it's an unreliable experience for me. Now, conversely, when I log on to either an app or a website using my mobile device, and I just click that little up arrow button, and I click on the one password icon, and then it uses Face ID to verify that it's me. And it just automatically fills in this crazy long, strong, random password and logs me on. That is actually faster than not having one. Uh, and when I'm right. on my device or at my PC and I make a purchase and I have to fill in my credit card details, I fill it out of one password. Or if I need to fill in my my name and address, I just fill it out of the password manager. Uh, and suddenly, this is actually a positive thing in terms of usability and security. And you're not trading off one for the other. So, yeah. uh, Troy, uh, I wanted to ask uh, something else because you have a password manager and I use a password manager. I use KeePass, which is an offline password manager. It's not a cloud-based password manager. And I always have this apprehension that if I use a cloud-based password manager, then all my passwords are already in the cloud. And if the data breach happens on that particular website, then my passwords also get leaked. So so how do you make yourselves uh, sure that, okay, using a cloud password manager is safer than using an offline password manager? Well, we're sort of comparing two different things here. One's security and one's usability. And and the, the, the problem is that if you look at the way most of us work today, particularly those of us in the technology industry, we, we tend to have multiple devices. Yes. So at the least, we tend to have a, let's say we have a smartphone and then we have, say, PC. Uh, some of us, uh, such as myself, oh, man, you should see how many machines I've got around me at the moment. <laughs> I've, got, I've got my phone, I've got my tablet, I've got my laptop, and I've got my PC. And I'm sure there are other things around here as well which need to be authenticated to. Uh, and the, the, the expectation I have is that I need to be able to use each of these devices and authenticate to, to resources, which means I want my password manager to be on each one of them. And if my password manages on each one of them, I need some way of synchronizing things. Yes. Now, sometimes there is the option of very manual sync. So do I, uh, do I put in a USB stick and migrate something from one to the other? Well, it's you know, possibly, but that's not a particularly user-friendly way of doing it. Uh, so people have different approaches for how they manage this, but I, I think we've got to recognize that there is a really, really valid use case today of multiple machines, same set of passwords. So then we get to the bit about, okay, well, if we do want to synchronize passwords between the machines, how would we do it? And obviously cloud is is the probably the first reaction for many people there. Uh, for a service like 1Password, for many years, you used to be able to synchronize your keychain via Dropbox. Now, the, yes. the thing is, is that what went into Dropbox and, and then later on as they provided their own cloud service, what goes into their own cloud service is only ever encrypted with the key on the client. So even if 1Password themselves uh, had a compromise and someone did go and get that keychain, you can't do anything with it. You are still going to need to get other key material from the user uh, in order to actually exploit the data. Uh, and then people say, okay, well, what if there was like a supply chain attack and someone could compromise the 1Password application and then push it out to devices and now the application is compromised and that could then circumvent the encryption. 
Well, you know, that's that's feasible. In fact, we saw this happen to a, uh, an Australia-based password manager only last week. So it's, so it's certainly feasible. But if you start having that discussion, you're not just worried about cloud anymore. It's like, look, if, if someone is actually worried about the password manager being compromised via a supply chain attack, whether you have your passwords in the cloud or passwords locally, then you're still going to have a big problem. So as you sort of start to delve into the different possibilities here, you, you sort of realize that you're always going to trade something off for something else. Uh, and I, I think that the best balance, certainly for me with multiple devices and needing things synchronized, uh, is to use a cloud service that encrypts it on the client. Okay, because uh, I mean, um, I mean, yes, I mean, th there are uh, ways where people have circumvented this problem, and I use OneDrive or Google Drive to sync the password file itself across multiple uh, devices. So that way, I can have access from my phone or from my laptop, PC, uh, tablet. So at least uh, that helps me. But yes, you're right. Um, I think uh, we have to think about usability versus security. Uh, when you have multiple devices, especially when you have elderlies like uh, your parents involved, then it's actually quite difficult <laughs> for them to convince uh, mm. using a offline password-based manager. So yeah, that makes sense. But um, uh, try coming back to have I been pwned and um, talking about data breaches, I always had this question like, how do you actually find data breaches and how do you then uh, put it online? Because uh, I'm sure there are data breaches, I mean, I don't know how to find a data breach. So how would you normally go about <laughs> finding a data breach and then putting it on your website? Because that must be a very like cumbersome task. Well, it's look, initially when it was Adobe and the, and the handful of other ones, I went out and found them and I was looking on forums where people were exchanging data and, uh, and, and it wasn't too difficult to find it. These days it's, it's good because somehow have I been pwned and I guess to some extent myself as well, somehow accidentally got famous <laughs> and now people just send it to me. Oh. Uh, so it, it does actually make my life a lot easier. So the, uh, the, the Indian one I just mentioned today, the grocery service, um, what was it called? Big, uh, was it big bucket, big basket. So big basket. Um, I got up this morning and I had multiple people uh, sending me DMs about this uh, and multiple people sending me data. Uh, and it, it all happened at once because this data had suddenly started circulating on a popular hacking forum. And there are lots of people on that forum who, who support what I do with Have I Been Pwned? And when they see data, they, they pop up and send it to me. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, of course, that is the benefit of, um, you know, um, sort of having a large network. That way you could um, sort of maintain that without having to sort of look for it. I was actually going to ask that um, um, long, long time ago um, for for research purposes only, <laughs> I've, I've uh, logged into, um, well, I don't know if I should say logged in, but I sort of um, uh, got into the dark web and um, some of those some of those uh, websites or the indexing sites had a lot, of, they were selling lots of data for, I don't know, some, for very cheap prices. And I was, I was very surprised and concerned. And uh, yeah, I was going to ask that. Do you do you get uh, some of these um, you know breach information from dark web as well, or uh, is it just through word of mouth? I think the the term the dark web is enormously misleading. Uh, I wrote a blog post a few years ago about uh, about the dark web, and if you just Google my name and dark web and fud, <laughs> you'll find <laughs> it. Uh, but I think it's very misleading insofar as 
very often I hear the term used in, in a way that's intended to make people fearful, uh, to sound scary. Um, I mean, it's, it's dark in there. That sounds scary, right? It's like the whole, the whole thing is phrased to sound scary. And, and very often I've done talks before where I talk about data that's circulating and, and people say, oh, you know, do you find on the dark web? That sounds pretty scary. And I'll say, no, look, it's, it's actually even scarier than the dark web. It's on the clear web. And, yeah. and what I mean by that is that I think it's, it is far more damaging to have data circulating on the clear web where it's more easily accessible you know, places like Twitter, there's so many data breaches just literally tweeted out. That to me is much more worrying because it, it has far greater impact. It reaches more people. Now, there are lots of repositories of data breaches which are, which are on the dark web, but honestly, the vast majority of them that I see are on the clear web. The, the one I've mentioned several times already from today, it's, it's a clear web popular hacking forum that constantly has huge volumes of data dumped to it. Uh, and either the data is dumped there specifically or people are putting links on this forum, which is full of people talking about how to use this data to break the law, and it's on the clear web. And I think that's much more concerning than the dark web. Right, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I was, um, yeah that is an eye-opener, actually, because, yeah, the, the clear web is more easily accessible to, to more people. So um, anyone with, um, you know, bad intentions would, would get these data more easily in clear web than, than, than the dark web. I mean, um, a few days ago, I think I've come across this other thing as well. There are a lot of the times when, when people are installing sort of um, IoT devices or even just CCTV cameras, you know, there is, they don't, uh, they don't sort of secure it with, uh, with uh, you know, unique passwords and stuff. And that a lot of the devices are actually available to just see in clear web as well and which is also another thing that uh, people should be more aware of yes. absolutely i think uh, you have this uh, problem of uh, default password so most of the devices have default passwords and if you know the default password and if you're not changed it then that's also something that people can exploit so yeah um so uh try um, another question i wanted to ask is uh, have i been pwned how did you come up with that name I can't really remember. Uh, it just seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> I think it was, uh, yeah, I, I'd, uh, I think I just thought it sounded like a bit of, like a fun name. You know, I was familiar with the word and, and the context of it. And I just thought, all right, well, this might be a little bit interesting. I don't think I took it very seriously. But you got to remember, like, I didn't expect this to do anything either. This was yeah, absolutely from the outset a, a pet project that was a bit of entertainment. Uh, and then somehow it's ended up here. Now, what's funny is that I've had um, multiple cases in the past where people have said, you know, hey, look, this service has gotten kind of important now. Do you think you should pick like a more mature name? It's like, no, <laughs> no, I think this has actually been really good fun. <laughs> so I'm going to leave this name. Yeah, because, uh, you know, uh, I worked for a company called uh, Privax and they used to make a, a VPN software. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, uh, Hide My Ass. And yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the founder said that uh, I came up with the name because uh, I can't sell a new VPN feature. So rather let me come up with a wacky name and that will market itself. So I think you're right. Have I been pwned? I mean, just the name itself is a good marketing uh, tool to uh, make this uh, quite famous. <laughs> yeah, and 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 this has led to a lot of discussion, right? Like people want to talk about that, and it's um, it's like, okay, well, that's fun. This is sort of something that people can can discuss a bit. Yes. 
So uh, coming back to uh, the data breaches again, so uh, we talk about data breaches like, okay, the, there's a lot of data being dumped, my email, password, phone numbers, etc. is being dumped. But what do you normally see in data breaches? I mean, is it just the emails? Is it just passwords? What do you normally see in a data breach um, when you uh, actually stumble upon one? What kind of... Yeah, well, it... it, it it really, um, it really depends, and and maybe one good way of actually understanding that is to to have a look at the the uh, the pwned sites link on Have I Been Pwned, and the you know there's 500 plus uh, sites listed there. I probably actually need to start that page paging. <laughs> I think there's a bit too much there now, but um, each individual data breach lists uh, impacted data classes. And those data classes can be password, they can be username and email address, they're the usual ones. But then sometimes they get much more serious. So sometimes it is financial data, uh, partial credit card data, full credit card data. Sometimes it is health records. Very often it's things that are a lot more personal. It could be anything from uh, your smoking and drinking and drug habits. And, and if you're wondering why a website would ever have this, well, dating websites have this because they're very relevant pieces of information if you're looking for a partner. Some websites will have things like passport numbers. Some websites have biometric data. So there's a really broad range of different things. And if, if you think about all the sorts of different classes of data that, that we hand over throughout the course of using the web, you sort of start to understand that there is a lot there. Yes. Yes, and a lot of the times, um, you know, uh, some data you might not think is um, are, are very important, like whether you're a smoker or not. But that could be used, you know, to to get to obtain more data by a hacker by using so social engineering. I mean, um, you know, some 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 you know piece of information you think is irrelevant, you know, um, if 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 it was to if if the hacker was to was trying to hack your bank account but using social engineering those data can lead to another set of data and then they can very uh, um, you know cunningly can end up with your <laughs> sensitive data that you wouldn't actually want anyone else to have so it's important that uh, even uh, without data breaches even just you know the information that we put out there in in in, in public domain even those we should uh, and you know i would ask uh, our audiences to be aware of it that what kind of information you are putting out there in public domain and you know if if every if if uh, someone with bad intention was to scrape all the data that are available for one person they could create a profile which which would help them to sort of uh, um, you know become an imposter of that person so uh, yeah it is, it is something to be aware of what we what information we put out there in uh, in public domain so uh, part of the, the the concern of course is that there are so many data breaches that uh, impact the same person over and over again. I mean, we've just discussed how many times each of us have been in yes. a data breach. That now you start to have very uh, rich profiles about people just simply by collating publicly accessible data. Assuming, of course, someone can get their hands on the same breaches that I do. And, and I find that uh, probably more concerning than, than any individual data breach. Okay. Yes. So, uh, Troy, when when we talked about the, I mean, you know, I I saw that I've I've uh, my data is breached on LinkedIn, Zynga, and few other websites. So now I'm thinking that okay, so the data has been breached, but 
if, and I can see it on have I been pwned, but as a user, as an individual, can I actually go and search for what the data was leaked and can I actually retrieve that data breach itself? That's a can of worms. <laughs> so what you can do is have I been pwned will tell you, let's say for the data breach today, uh, that your email address, IP address, physical address, phone number, uh, name, all those things uh, were exposed. And, and what it's doing here is it's saying that this is really metadata for the breach. So this is information that has been leaked in the breach. Now, then there's a question of, okay, well, there's 24 million records in there. What about each and in every individual person? So that there's two questions here. So for each individual or each individual person, was their phone number leaked? Was their email address leaked? Or was their IP address leaked? And that's a very valid question, but you can imagine the difficulty in storing that information. It's, it's one thing to store 24 million records in a database. It's, it's, it's another thing for every one of those 24 million records to then go and store a heap of other information indicating whether the data was present or not. Now, that's just if we were to try and record that on a per individual basis in terms of whether the data existed or not. If we then went further and said, okay, well, we actually want to store that data, you know, store that person's password or their yes. phone number, that becomes enormously, enormously dangerous because what we're now doing is storing a huge volume of information that is very personal. So just imagine some of these data breaches had things like your sexuality, your your sexual fantasies. Think about Ashley Madison. I would not want to be responsible for storing that data. I wouldn't want to be responsible for storing it full stop, but then to store it and then to make it available to someone who you think is probably the correct owner, and maybe you do something like verify their email address, but is that really enough? If someone's email address has been taken over, because they reuse passwords and they've been in a data breach, would that be sufficient? So to me, that just poses way too great a risk, not just for individuals, but to me and my ability to keep running the service as well. So I have always stuck with the, the very premise of have I been pwned, which is to answer the question, have I been pwned? Really? And I can answer that question without telling people what actual data has been breached. Now, I also feel quite strongly that if we look at an incident like today, it really should be Big Basket's responsibility when one of their customers says, hey, I have been pwned, I've been in this data breach. That organization should say, here is the information that's been exposed. They are responsible for it. They lost it. Well, they they didn't lost it or lose it. Rather, they, they know where it is. It's all over the place now. There's lots of copies of it now. But you, you get my point. Like they are accountable for letting it get wild. So really, to, to my mind, they should now be responsible for supplying it to individuals who want to know what it was. So uh, then, so coming back to the question, so organizations are now, I mean, they, they should be accountable for the data breach that has happened. So of course, they need to tell mm. what data has been breached. But then, and governments now, especially in Europe, they have put this uh, GDPR regulation uh, where if any data is breached or if any private data has gone public, then um, the company is responsible and they need to pay a fine. So like TokTok, Talk, uh, the data got breached and TokTok Talk had to pay a huge penalty for that. So um, do you think that uh, governments should also play a role in data protection and uh, make regulations that enforce companies to actually um, keep uh, the data more secure because I've, I've noticed that 
say EU uh, can enforce a GDPR law, but what about say China or India or <laughs> yeah. Africa? What happens in those countries? That is an excellent question. So uh, first of all, all of this is sort of relative, right? So Talk Talk, their data breach was 2015. Uh, it was major. They said it cost them 72 million pounds. Uh, now yes. that does sound like a lot of money. But what's more relevant is that they got fined by the ICO in the UK and they got fined £400,000. And at the time, that was the largest fine the ICO had issued. And it was the same as what they later uh, issued for Carphone Warehouse as well. But £400,000 for TalkTalk, Talk, who had revenue, I think, of about £1.7 a year. I remember doing a talk on stage and, and doing the maths and I was saying that it's a little bit like if you earn $100,000 a year being fined your lunch. <laughs> you know, for one day, your lunch for one day, because it was like $20 or something like that. Um, so the, the, the fine is really relative. And it wasn't so much the 400,000 pounds that cost Talk Talk, it was the 72 million. And I'm not sure exactly how they calculated that. I imagine a lot of it went to lawyers <laughs> trying to mitigate the damage. But, uh, but that was a part of it. But the, the other question you raise, or the point you raise there, and I think this is very, very fascinating, is that GDPR is a European law, and I know people are, I'm going to get angry emails about this, but it's it's a European law passed in the EU, and you've got 28 you know European member states uh, for whom this is applicable. And in theory, that law then extends to the rest of the world. And if you are, let's say you're, let's pick something interesting, and we'll say you're uh, a hosting provider in Ecuador, and you provide a website, and you have the you have the personal information of EU data subjects in your system, and it gets breached. In theory, GDPR should apply to this Ecuadorian company, and I feel very uncomfortable with the premise that a country in one part of the world, or a region as it may be in one part of the world, can extend across the distance of the internet their own local laws on another part of the world. And you use China as an example. I mean, China has a fundamentally different view of privacy uh, and and many laws in general to what we would have in the UK or the or the US or Australia or something like that. Yes. Now, can you imagine for a moment China saying, uh, hey, we have had one of our, our Chinese citizens in a database in the EU. We expect you to now start following our laws. It's, it's, just, it's just madness. And what we're actually seeing is that there have been many cases where I've had folks in the EU, so EU data subjects, fought on correspondence they've had with their local regulators after being in a data breach of, say, a data aggregator in the US. And they've gone to their local regulator and they said, I am very unhappy about this. And under GDPR, I want you to take these guys to court and, and do justice. And the regulator replies and says, look, they're in another jurisdiction. Sorry, nothing we can do about it. Now, this is very different for if it's someone like Facebook, because Facebook is everywhere. They have points of presence everywhere. It's very different if it was, uh, let's say it was, you know, Virgin Media. Or, okay, that's maybe not a good example because they're UK, but another big multinational that has points of presence. But to pick like one individual organization in another part of the world operating locally who just happens to be on the internet and you happen to use their service and then suddenly think your laws are going to extend to them, just frankly doesn't pass the bullshit test. <laughs> it's, it's not seeming to do that in practice either. Okay, it's it's interesting because uh, uh, I mean 
I mean, when we use the internet, most of the, I mean, big companies are in the US and then the US laws apply to those uh, websites and say, I, I have my data on Facebook and I have my data on Google, I have data on Microsoft or Amazon and most of the companies are based in the US. So, and US government can um, uh, subpoena or they can they can ask uh, Google or Facebook to uh, g- uh, give uh, the data of what they have of uh, individuals on their website. So now, as I say, an Indian citizen or someone in the EU, do they actually have to, uh, uh, I mean, I mean, uh, respond to that request where the US government is saying, okay, give me all the data and uh, then that data, my data, uh, Indian citizen in the UK uh, uh, going to the US government. So is is that also uh, somewhere, I mean, should that be allowed as well? Because the, then it's a, again a, a question of jurisdictions. This, is, this feels like a, a, an answer, I have to say. I'm not a lawyer, but <laughs> so, sure. um, it, it, it is interesting cross-jurisdictions. And, and, and before I answer this, I, I will say one thing that I find uh, quite fascinating is that we have this uh, centuries, even millennia-old concept of balkanizing different parts of the world where we've broken down this one planet into these different little parts uh, and created our own cultures and our own laws and our own social norms. Uh, And that worked fine for thousands of years. And then the internet came along (laughs) and suddenly all of this ideal around having borders and everything would happen within the border just suddenly evaporated because now we've got these online services and the borders just disappear and we can be you know sitting here in my home in australia and there's this to pick a stereotype there's someone in eastern europe trying to hack through my router and you know access my data uh this is different before that look even 30 years ago that person would have had to travel to australia and come to my house and now they're in australia and they're under australian jurisdiction so we've sort of fundamentally change that the premise of how laws need to apply uh, to individuals and organizations because the borders have fundamentally changed. So when we get to the point of talking about uh, things like legal requests for data, this is now becoming extremely murky. And when we have situations, I I think one of the most famous ones here is um, uh, if, if you Google like the Microsoft Belfast case uh, where a US court was requesting Microsoft to provide data on someone who had an account with them. And I believe that that data was was hosted in Belfast uh, and Microsoft rejected it and said, well, well no, this, this, is, this is not your data. We might be a US company, but that data exists in Europe and it, it exists in a, in a completely different part of the world. You don't have the jurisdiction to ask for that. And I, I remember particularly around four or five years ago, there was a lot of concern Uh, especially in Europe, for organisations using US-based cloud services, particularly in the wake of the Snowden incidents, because people started to say, well, you know, let's pick someone like Germany, which has got the strictest privacy laws in the world. You know, how confident can we be as German citizens and as German companies if we use an American service, even if it's hosted within our borders, how confident can we be that someone from a foreign company or foreign country, rather, on the other side of the world can't just pop up one day and say, well, because of something that happened locally over there, they now want access to our customer data. You know, what confidence does that give our customers and us? And in fact, it's you know, Germany is an interesting example because Microsoft ultimately ended up having Deutsche Telekom uh, run their Azure instance there completely independently of, <laughs> of US laws. And similar things have happened in China as well. 
So it's it, it's just a very curious situation how we're we're all sort of humans living on the same rock, and then we've been thrust together via this internet thing, and now we we have these very bizarre constructs to just to try and give people protection. Yeah, very very bizarre. Yeah. So um, talking about um, globali- globalized services, one of the one of the um, one of the things that is very popular nowadays is, is uh, cryptocurrencies. Um, obviously, Bitcoin has become. I mean, everyone knows about Bitcoin, and then there are other um, other other cryptocurrencies that are also becoming more and more popular. So, um, in terms of security and data breaches and stuff, I mean, do you? I mean, are you anticipating any any data breaches relating to crypto wallets or? Oh yeah, there's been heaps. <laughs> this is already a few, and have I been pwned? Look, obviously, digital currency is is enormously attractive because if someone does get access to it, not only is it a means of monetizing their attacks, but of course, cryptocurrency you can be a lot more anonymous than with other forms of currency uh, as well. So it, it is enormously attractive and. We've all seen stories about not just security-related incidents with cryptocurrency, but things like uh, someone has lost the USB stick that had their wallet on it. <laughs> so it, it does feel like we're in a very, very early era uh, of cryptocurrencies, uh, and there are still lots of holes that people do take advantage of. Yeah, one one of the things that I feel um, very scary is that you know if, if you make a transaction in cryptocurrency, there is no way to sort of revert back by calling you know a, a higher authority or anything. That transfer has been made, and there is no way of reversing it unless the person who received it um, sends sends the money back or something like that. So. Uh, because there is no sort of um, no way of rectifying a mistake, or you know, if if someone does hack and then transfer uh, uh, currencies into into an account, there is no no sort of um, um, you know like a higher jurisdiction that can sort of revert that, and uh, that makes me very scary uh, scared using uh, you know using cryptocurrencies more. I mean, is there any other security mm. vulnerability around the whole blockchain technology, or? Um... But that's that, that's really sort of the double-edged sword, isn't it? Where they're, they're, this is not a regulated currency that doesn't have, say, the you know the Federal Reserve in the US you know, controlling <laughs> how, how the uh, how, how the currency is run, which is something which is very attractive to many people. Mm-hmm. But yeah. by the same token, it, it it does have these risks as well. So it's, I guess time will tell. I mean, my sense is that, that uh, and I'm by no means any cryptocurrency expert, the only crypto I have is, is little bits and pieces that people donated uh, long enough ago that they're not little anymore. So I've been a little <laughs> bit lucky with that. Uh, and and I, I didn't really know what to do with it, so I just left it there. Um, but uh, I, I think it's, it's interesting to see how more mainstream financial institutions are starting to recognize and embrace cryptocurrency and how, how more uh, mainstream services are starting to accept it as well. And there is a lot to be said for it. I think there are some wonderful things about cryptocurrency. And, and every time I have problems uh, actually transferring money around the world, I wonder why this hasn't gained more traction. I've had enormous problems recently, particularly for some parts of the world, uh, that, that I have relationships with it, it 
you just look at it and go, why on earth is this? Like, why have we not solved this? You know, why do we need these stupid banks in the, in the way of just trying to uh, literally exchange money? Uh, and then you remember all the drugs, <laughs> you know, and all the dark market stuff. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, of course. Uh, there is, it is a double-edged sword. Um, so, I mean, uh, uh, there, there is another um, topic that has recently been popular or sort of <laughs> maybe I just came to know about it recently is uh, the new new web web 3.0 um, I, I haven't done enough research to know too much about it but as far as I understand it's a, like a decentralized network which um, is somehow related to blockchain technology as well I mean would would could that be a solution to you know a more secure internet or, or um... I mean there, there's always been talk about this right and, and even if you think back to like web 2.0 like it, it wasn't a new version of the internet I think we just sort of got to a point where there's enough there are enough new ways in which we're using it we're like oh we probably should rev the <laughs> <laughs> rev the version. <laughs> um, the, the, the premise of decentralized internet has has been around for a long time, but of course we're yet to see anything actually gain much traction on this. But what I find really fascinating with with the web as it works today is that if, if I look on my bookshelf, I've got this uh, this book which is HTML for dummies, and this is the book that I learned to to build HTML with uh, in 1995. And and I got that book because I couldn't do any courses. I started university that year. I certainly weren't teaching any web development. <laughs> you know, I, was, I had to do COBOL and that was it. Uh, so it's, it's, I sort of went out and I got this book and that's how I learned. And I've been teaching my 11-year-old son uh, HTML. And it's fascinating that we can pick up that book and pretty much everything that's in there is still relevant. So I have to sort of say, like, don't use Blink and Marquee. Like, they're the two things you can't use anymore. Just don't touch those. But everything else is still pretty much the same. And I think it's amazing that you look at how different the internet is now compared to 26 years ago, but the underlying fundamentals are really still just the same. And I suspect that what we'll see, as opposed to some sort of new version of the web, which is decentralized and, you know, unrecognizable to what it is today, I think we will just see a continual progression of filling the gaps that we have had since it was built in a very, very different time. Uh, so as an example of that, like look at how fundamentally different HTTPS is today to even five years ago. You know, we, we've now got Chrome 90 defaulting to HTTPS. That has taken a very, very long time to get to. Uh, we're, we're treating things like uh, cookies with same site attributes very, very differently to what we did before. And this has solved the, the problem of cross-site request forgery. Uh, so there's lots of different areas that we're just gradually, incrementally improving not so that the web looks fundamentally different, but so that it just gets better bit by bit compared to what it was before. Very interesting. That's that's a good way to look at it because yeah, I I, I started building my own website. Uh, I mean, last year during COVID, I thought, okay, let me just learn something new and learn some coding. And I I went to a page, HTML page, and it's so simple and easy. And you're right, the HTML code hasn't changed uh, over the last. Uh, I mean, since the time it has been created, the tags are still the same. It's still relevant. Uh, but yeah, the, now there's more JavaScript involved, so most of the websites <laughs> don't even have HTML code. It's just <laughs> a lot of JavaScript. Um, so, yeah, but um, I mean, 
so now you're teaching your son about html code and other things and we are all now in a covid world where uh, i mean we are all stuck at home and um, we are not able to go out and do things and people are using the internet more and more so do you think that the data breaches have become uh, more prevalent now and uh, do you think have i been pwned has become more important now that we are all working from home and using more computers because there were there were times where people governments they were um, using very old technology still on windows xp and suddenly they have accelerated digital transformation so i mean has that um, made have i been pwned even more uh, critical now to the world well, look, I think it's inevitable that we'll see more data breaches and there are some very sort of simple, obvious reasons for this. Uh, and one of the reasons is we've got more websites. Yes. So we've got more websites and we've got more devices as well. Uh, I've got about 120 IP addresses in my house now because I've got so many internet connected <laughs> things. And I appreciate I'm a little bit special here and I may have gotten a bit carried away, but regardless, <laughs> there is a, there's a lot of stuff out there connected to the internet now that we never would have thought of before. Um, now, why is this happening? Because we're, we're getting very, very cheap uh, microprocessors and very cheap and very small uh, Wi-Fi radios. And it's becoming enormously cost-effective to do this. And then there's a combination of people just wanting to market cool stuff that probably doesn't need internet uh, and some valid functionality as well. It's it's actually useful that my washing machine is internet connected and it can alert myself and my partner when the washing has done. Uh, you know, that that's a handy thing. So we're getting a lot of other connected things and, and they connect, they're collecting data that we just never had digitized before. Yeah, like we didn't have a history of your washing cycles before. Uh, we, we have that now. <laughs> And then we've got cloud and cloud is enormously good at allowing you to build things quickly and cost effectively and screw things up quickly and cost effectively. <laughs> so cloud <laughs> has resulted in so many data breaches because it's lowered the barrier to entry that now any idiot can go and stand up an S3 bucket and put all their data in there and leave it publicly facing. And I, I say that sort of tongue in cheek, but there are a lot of people that are frankly ill-equipped to be uh, building these services, but you know, it's, it's cheap and easy. And also we've got more people. So there are more people in the world, particularly in emerging markets where there are less people on the internet, but that's growing very, very quickly. So we've got more systems, more people, more things collecting data, uh, and it's faster and, and more cost-effective than ever to, to use these services. So, so yeah, we're going to see more data breaches. And, and the other thing is that we're not really reducing any of the data footprint we have as we introduce new things. So you have a think about all the different places that you've signed up to before. Uh, and then next week, you're going to want to buy a T-shirt or something like that from a new online store because we've got to do everything online now. Yeah. And you go and sign up on this store. Now, you don't unsubscribe from the old store where you used to buy your T-shirt. You yes. know, it's like now you just have more data in more places. And, and you'll be like me. You'll turn up in a data breach next year or something for this new site and you will have completely forgotten about it because all you want to do is buy a T-shirt. <laughs> but now we've just increased our data footprint. And and uh, I mean and and that's one one of the things that I I keep uh, like uh, 
thinking about like why do i have to create so many usernames and passwords why can't i just use a single username or password i mean can't there be a better solution to creating so many <laughs> usernames and passwords and having a password manager because it just doesn't make life more efficient i think it it makes a life more slow because every time i have to sign in so um, i'll i'll give you an example um, i'm i'm currently looking for a new role and um, i'm trying to uh, apply for jobs and what happens is that when i go and apply uh, Uh, they asked me to create a login and i'm like all you need is my cv all you need to know is my name my email address a phone number you can call me and get in touch but you want me to now create a login which is creating an extra uh, data on the internet and then i i'll completely forget about it because i've just applied once then i don't need to apply again so i i create a login and then i create a profile again and again and there is no uh, concept of reusability so do you think that uh, there should be um in i mean technology companies should focus uh, in a direction where we can reuse usernames and passwords rather than creating uh, usernames and passwords again and again oh this is going to be fun okay so <laughs> <laughs> let's let's imagine that when you say reuse you you don't mean use the same username and password with different services but you mean like a a central provider right and like an identity provider yeah right okay so who do you want to run that Yeah so so that that gets tricky because <laughs> now now you have uh, sign in with Google sign in with Facebook so you oh. have social logins Uh, yeah and uh, companies are using it because um, so suppose uh, i join a company and they have g suite so using uh, the gmail login that i have i can now sign into slack i can sign into uh, jira i can sign into so many other uh, i mean uh, uh, websites and it makes life easy it's like single sign on but then again you're right uh, who's in control gmail So <laughs> and and this is the challenge right because there so many people are very concerned about Google in particular because of the amount of data Google have got. So do you want to trust Google with all of this data because what you're doing now and and I I am not of the same view as most people when it comes to to tracking conspiracy theories and things like that. So I, I think for the most part Google actually does very good things. Yes. But many people believe that all that's going to happen now is you're just going to give Google more and more information about you which they will then sell to other people and further erode your privacy. But then let let's say it's not Google, let's say let's say it's Authy. Uh then you say okay, well, do you want to trust an American company? <laughs> you know so so now you've got a different problem it's like are you going to trust this american company with with your data and then there's someone to say well okay what about apple so apple apple is is doing a lot around privacy lately i think they're doing some really good stuff yes uh do you want to be tied into that ecosystem because this whole sign in with apple situation works great on ios and mac os and all these other sort of apple centric things Uh what happens if you want to leave the Apple ecosystem and go all Android at some time? Yeah. Uh, yeah. How well does that translate across? So so the problem is is that everyone has got their own ecosystems and every time we sort of start to talk about centralizing everything you're you're either putting a lot of trust in one company or you're putting a lot of trust in one jurisdiction and when we go back to the discussion before about well what happens if let's say US court demands access to your sign in history? uh and you're in uh, let, let's say it's not the UK let's say it's India just cuz it's a little bit uh, it's it's out of sort of five eyes territory then yeah. and you're in India and you've just signed into uh big basket <laughs> the website today that got breached 
Do you want a US court having access to that information by virtue of the fact that you were using Google? Uh, now, I'm not necessarily saying it's that easy either, but th this, of course, is the concern that people put forward, and, and I think it's valid. I understand where they're coming from. Yeah, that is, yeah, I mean, because I, I feel that uh, rather than making things complicated, just make it more efficient, like HTML, it's a standard thing. So can we not come up with a better solution of uh, not using <laughs> using something else? I mean, people are thinking about biometrics and uh, other things, but but I, I see your point, you're right. I mean, who will be in control and uh, which jurisdiction will it fall into? So yeah, that's, that's something that... Uh, yeah, I mean, we have to... I just, I'm just laughing because HTML was too simple. So we created CSS to try and give us more power. And now as everything's a nightmare of, of you know, boxes and flows and <laughs> other things. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, very often when I have these discussions with people and everyone's like, why isn't it like this or why isn't it like that? And I sort of get to the point where I say, look, th there are so many smart people thinking about all this stuff. There's usually a good reason why things are as they are today. Uh, and, and in the case of something uh, yeah, like authentication providers, uh, I honestly think the good reason, the Occam's razor, so the simplest possible explanation, yeah. is that people are very concerned about consolidating a lot of data with uh, with one authentication provider and probably more importantly is that organizations are very concerned about doing that uh, i cannot think of a single bank that i've ever seen anywhere in the world that allows you to sign in uh, let's say with a provider from a u.s tech company there there are certain parts of the world like norway where you sign into every bank using a standard government uh, identifier and, and that's that's probably a good step in the right direction but it's completely different to the way you sign into facebook so, uh, so again, I mean, uh, I, I'm not sure if you, if you if you know about Estonia. So it's one of those countries where mm -hmm. they have a completely digital economy, digital gov uh, government, and everything. And what they uh, they talk about is uh, you own the data. So you use the service, but you own the data. So whatever is stored on any of the computers uh, on any by any organization that uh, is within Estonia, uh, the data belongs to you they're only providing you the services. So what are, what are your thoughts on that aspect? I mean, that's a, a government that has actually implemented a solution. You own the data, but the services are being provided by someone else. It, it's sort of, I guess, part of the spirit of GDPR as well, insofar as you are consenting for your data to be used in a certain way and you have the right to the right to erasure and the right to access of your data and, and, and effectively you are the owner of the data. And I, and I think the spirit of it is, is very good. The, the difficulty does come in the execution of it and the number of different edge cases. And I'll give you a really good example. I did a, a course with um, someone who was, uh, who was a DPO for a large European company. And we, we did this course, I think about a month after GDPR hit, um, when was it? It was 2018. Oh, it was when we were allowed to travel. It seemed like a long time ago because <laughs> I remember doing it in London. And he told me a funny story. He said, look, he has been hearing uh, through his DPO friends of stories where uh, people in the UK who had had speeding tickets would get in touch with the police and say, under GDPR, I'd like to exercise my right for erasure. You need to delete my data from your systems. <laughs> and... Yeah, my initial thought was, first of all, this is hilarious. Uh, this is a very interesting unintended consequence of GDPR. But secondly, this was a really good example of how this idea of 
any sort of absolute right and control over data will never exist. And in fact, he was a DPO for a major airline and he said that they have to retain data for a period of years due to regulatory requirements. You cannot, as an individual, call up this company and say, I want you to delete my data because the regulatory obligations trump the individual rights to request it. And it's a little bit like all the people who say, I never put any of my data online. It's like, hey, try logging onto the tax office and see how much data they've got on you. you know? So again, look, I, I like the spirit and that's not to say that we shouldn't keep trying to minimize data and give people as much control of, as possible. But I think the premise of somehow individuals being in complete control of their information uh, is just fundamentally unachievable. Okay. Right. <laughs> So no, there's always fun stories. I got, I got lots of fun stories about boring subjects. <laughs> no, no, but it's a, it's a, it's a good way to look at things, uh, uh, Troy. Because uh, I think uh, sometimes uh, when 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 you're living and you're experiencing things, you see it in a certain way. And when we talk about it, then we see it in a different way. And we are like, oh, we didn't think about it. So yeah, it's 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 a good insight to how things are actually and how people actually exploit GDPR. This is <laughs> very interesting. <laughs> Yeah, and it's um, it very often we we only sort of really understand the, the the full consequences of these things with the benefit of time when we can see, you know, how uh, what, what the impact of these things has actually been. Yes, right. This this actually has been quite eye opening for me. A lot of these things I actually hadn't thought about, but no, this 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 was a good conversation for me to be a part of. Um, Try moving on to um, some of the. I mean, uh, before this talk, I was uh, sort of um, um, looking at all the different projects that you're involved in. I mean, I, it's quite impressive all the all the different things that you've been, you know, you've been doing and have been part of. Um, you know, like the courses in Plural Site and things like that. So um, during lockdown, obviously, this this has been uh, like a completely different um, lifestyle than than you know the ever happened before did you did you think about starting any new projects or you know now that with with you know this covid situation in a post covid world did you see any opportunity or any change in you know in in our future lifestyle that where a, a sort of new project might you know might sort of help people you know tackle this new lifestyle well, you, you know, what I'm finding with, with COVID in general is it's, it's really fascinating and very often surprising how different the impact is on different people. So, uh, yeah, particularly going back about a year ago when it was very early, there was a lot of, a lot of concern about uh, unemployment rates and then as a result of that, the economy being in a lot of trouble and the real estate market falling apart and all the rest of it. And what I've found really interesting is the different walks of life that have uh, unexpectedly done very well. Uh, and the example that I often give is um, that there's a guy who comes and he, he does something with our pool every month. I, I don't know exactly what it is. I just know it's got chemicals and it looks better afterwards. But anyway, so <laughs> this guy, Steve, he comes around to the pool and I remember talking to him after COVID was hitting and I was thinking, gee, you know, like a pool, a pool is really a luxury thing. I, I hope Steve's all right. And he's like, oh, man, business is booming. This is really great because everyone's staying home and they're spending more time in their pool. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I have more work than ever before. I was like, oh, good on Steve. That's good news. And I, I think in, in this industry, it's, it's a bit 
paradoxical in, in similar ways. So there is there is no more conference travel. The last in-person conference that I went to was in uh, February last year. It was Microsoft Ignite in Sydney. It was just after I'd come back from events in, in Norway and, and the UK. Uh, and it, very interestingly, I'm about to go to my next in-person conference. This will be about two weeks away. It's the OzCert conference on the Gold Coast. I'd normally go to every year, but that will be uh, the next in-person one I go to. So that's fundamentally changed. Uh, and obviously, I haven't been going into companies to do workshops anymore. However, on the other hand, I've been doing lots of online talks. Uh, there's been a lot of demand for that because yes. companies have just worked out that you know, look, they've, they've still got to run a business. A lot of tech companies have done it very, very well uh, out of COVID as well because their products are in more demand and they've been more willing to pay to get me in to do my, you know, what I do and I, I would have had to travel for before. I've still been doing a lot of workshops online uh, because, again, lots of tech companies are probably a lot more conscious of security. So they've been doing those things. Um, and, and then just many of the other things that I've done in the past, there's still demand for it. But what's different for me now is that I don't have to travel from one country to another in order to do it. So I'm not jet lagged. Uh, it's cheaper for the, for the company, at least in terms of like flights and accommodation, because there's no flights or accommodation. So that, that, that's gone. Um, and I, I think it's a little bit like Steve with the pool where th there have been lots of opportunities that have come out of this, but equally it has been very damaging for some people as well. If, if your business was predicated on being face-to-face -face with people, th then that would be very difficult. And you know, I've had to, to adjust the way I work and, and many other people have too, but it, it certainly has been, uh, it's been positive for me in, in many, many different ways. Right, right. I mean, it is it is very fascinating. All you know, all the different um, different projects and uh, talks that uh, that you do. And uh, I was I was very impressed looking at you know uh, watching some of your talks. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, you, know, you you've done a lot. Um, you know, a lot of things, and um, you know, a lot of these things are available online, which is great. Um, a, a bit of a generic question here. So um, so say for example, if you know, if if you were to sort of um, you know, for tomorrow, if you were stripped away for uh, from everything that you've done so far, and you know you had to start all over again, you know, with only the knowledge you have so far, um, what are the first few things you will do to sort of get back to where you are now? Uh, look, it's it's a good question. I, I think that I personally would still be involved in a combination of of building software and the security side of it. Uh, I think that the opportunities for us to build software today, particularly because of things like the cloud, are just absolutely unprecedented. It is such an amazing time. I think it is so exciting, more so now than the early days of the web or the dot-com boom or anything like that. It's just, uh, it is just fascinating how much you can do with so little. So I'd, I'd still want to be involved in that. But I also think that I'd, I'd still want to focus on the, um, the infosec side of things as well. But it would be It'd be difficult for me to know where to start now because so much of what I do is, is only possible because of, of brand and reputation and trust. <laughs> and if the question is how, sort of how do you go back to square one and rebuild all that again, well, I guess I'd start writing a blog again. And that's, that's where it all started. I wrote a blog post yeah, nearly 12 years ago now and it, uh, stuff just escalated. <laughs> so, uh, right. Troy... I mean, one last question from me. And uh, what do you think if Have I Been Pwned had never existed, how different the world would be? 
I mean, my world would be different. <laughs> Not that much, <laughs> of course. The, the, the rest of the world, like, I, I don't think it would be different in any measurable way. You know, like, it almost would be like, what if Elon Musk never existed and there was no Tesla? Well, actually, I think it would actually be quite different in many ways. And unfortunately, I haven't had quite the impact as he has. Um, he's done a bit better out of it than me, too. <laughs> I mean, I mean uh, you've done a pretty good job as well. I mean, uh, talking about security, making security accessible to a lot of people. I mean, I've read your blogs, um, uh, especially the one on your password, like uh, how do you actually enforce passwords uh, for mm. users? So I've read a couple of your blogs and I find that very fascinating. You did one article on Nissan Leaf where you were uh, playing with it and you said, okay, see, this is how easy it's a hack. Yeah. So, so I, I, I know that you definitely have an impact, especially people in the infosec world um, uh, and the uh, technology world. But um, and and I feel that have I been pwned has been um, quite good because the moment you realize there is a data breach and you can find out that if your data has been breached or not, then people can take action because if you don't have an information, you you cannot take action for it. Um, so at least I feel that have a been pwned has been quite uh, helpful because the moment I realized my data has been breached on mm. LinkedIn, I'm like, okay, damn, I use that password everywhere. So I should start changing. <laughs> well, you, you know, I, I think something like the um, um, password check is, is a good example. So the pwned passwords feature, the one that can tell you if, if uh, someone's using a password that's been a previous data breach, that's approaching 1 billion queries a month, uh, which is which is substantial. And that's just the online API. There's also offline data. And I don't know how much people query that because it's all offline. They just download it. Now, how much difference has that made to the world? I, look, I, I think it's done some positive things. But the, the thing is, is that when that service works, nothing happens. <laughs> you know, like that's, a, that's the whole design. It's like, uh, you didn't get hacked. Oh, good. It must have worked. You, you know, so that's... It's kind of an odd way of measuring it. And um, I guess what that means is, is that I can't sort of sit here and go, okay, well, you know, this is the, this is the difference it's made. It, it feels good. It feels like it's done the right thing, but, but that's about as much as I can say. It's, it's, uh, yeah, wow, it's, it's this, uh, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, now that I've found out that my data has been breached, I think the next two days is going to be a little bit of a bit of work today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, that's that's all we wanted to ask for the day. Thank you so much for your time, uh, Troy. Rena, do you yeah. have anything? Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, 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 you know, this has been actually a very, very good uh, talk for me as well. A lot of eye-opening, um, you know, information and uh, no, that, that it was a very interesting talk. Um, uh, Troy, I'm, I, I see that you have had, uh, you know, apart from Have I Been Pwned, you have a number of other projects as well, um, you know, like your courses in Pluralsight and uh, uh, I think the password manager as well. Do you, would you like to tell us a little bit about your projects for the audiences to sort of well, yeah, look, I guess the other things I'm involved in, I haven't done any Pluralsight courses for a while, um, but but they're still out there. They're still a, they're certainly still a big part of my income, so please go and watch those. Um, uh, I'm, uh, as I mentioned before, I'm on um, our 1Password's Board of Advisors, so that's, uh, yeah, go get 1Password, that's good. I'm also a uh, strategic advisor for NordVPN, so yeah, they do really good things as well. 
And then other project-wise, I'm still part of Report URI, which is Scott Helm's project to do uh, reporting for things like content security policy headers, which is a, a really, really cool little project, which we um, w- which we hope uh, grows and, and becomes more popular because CSPs are super cool. So, yeah, they're, they're probably the big ones to check out. Oh, and I'm writing a book as well. So if, if you go to book.troyhunt.com, oh, right. you, can, uh, you can sign up and get notified when – as the book progresses, and that's going to be a whole bunch of different stories related to blog posts. And I'm uh, I'm doing that with a, a friend of mine, Rob Connery, who's who's pretty well known and has done some amazing stuff with books. So um, so he's sort of uh, uh, doing all of the the editing of the books and the production of it. Uh, I'm writing some content, and my my fiance Charlotte is is keeping us all organised and keeping us on track. <laughs> so hopefully we'll we'll have a book out in the coming months. Oh, All right. Um, uh, that's interesting. As you said, I mean, you know, the, as the book progresses, I mean, are you making making the, the, the content public as you're writing it or are you going to publish it once it's done? So we're aiming towards like a, a V0.1 beta. And the, the, the thing we just got to be a little bit cautious of is uh, when is the right time for a beta? So, you know, how much information needs to be in there? How accurate does it need to be? There's a bunch in there that, that relates to my personal life as well. And, and to be honest, I'm still finding sort of the right words and, and how much I want to share. And I need to get that right before I even put out a beta. Like you, you can't take stuff back <laughs> later on. So <laughs> I'm still figuring that out as well. Um, but yeah, the, the intention is to have a beta and we'd really like to get feedback from the community about everything from the, the title to the cover to, of course, the content. But uh, yeah, book.troyhunt.com and, and people can kick off from there. Ah, right. That that is very interesting. I mean, I I have um, authored and published a book as well. Um, that's available on Amazon, and I <laughs> I'm not as um, I'm not you know popular enough or uh, good author <laughs> good of an author enough to sort of get um, um, some of the sort of the uh, you know some of the well known publishers. So I just I just published it through Amazon, where they have like a you know um, free publishing um, service. But um, yeah, no, I'll definitely check out the check out that link. Well, I really don't know what I'm doing. I'm relying on Rob. <laughs> and he knows what he's doing, so uh, so hopefully, hopefully it'll be all right. Yeah, hopefully. And right. uh, yeah, looking looking forward to the book. So I, I keep following your blog. So I've, I've I've seen the post on your book. So that'll be quite exciting. And I I keep checking your YouTube uh, videos as well. Uh, I've uh, heard couple last couple of videos where you. Uh, all right about cool. uh, british red cross the whole project and how you actually uh managed to see the data blood groups and everything so that was quite uh, interesting so nice. uh, thank you so much again troy for your time and uh, for coming on our show and uh, for talking about have i been pwned um i think it's a uh, very it's been very useful and i think very insightful as well to talk about the various aspects related to data breaches and passwords and other things and uh, i would urge the viewers and listeners to think about their data and think about how they can secure it and uh, check out have i been pwned and see if your data has been breached in any of the websites yeah yeah and also we'll 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 add all the other um um links to all the other uh, projects that you're working on uh, uh, for, uh, for for the audience they will all be in the description so you guys can go and check it out um and uh, yeah hopefully you guys will get a lot of benefit out of this cool hey thanks very much guys for having me on yeah thank you very much troy for uh, joining us and uh yeah um uh, 
have a good evening. <laughs> I don't know Cheers. what time Thanks, it is guys. in Australia. <laughs> it is evening. It's, it's definitely dinner time. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. Take See you guys. Bye. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye. Bye. Bye.